It's good to see all of you all. I feel like I need to welcome you to the North Dakota Church of Christ this morning. Uh, it's a little, a little chilly out there, but you know, it's Texas. It'll be 65 by Thursday, I think. So we'll all be back in our short sleeves and uh, cargo shorts. And so uh, we'll give God the praise no matter what's going on. Wow. What a week. What a week. Can I get an oh yeah? Yeah. Yeah. What a week. Uh, Last Sunday, I mentioned that I prayed and really processed all the way back in November about the sermon series that we would be in, and this idea of more just kept poking and prodding at my heart. I couldn't get away from it, and so we decided through prayer and discernment with the elders and the staff to move into this series um, in January and February entitled More, and uh, probably in response to some of the less that we experienced last year, I think. Um, last week, we were in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, and you may remember that very, very powerful verse that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus now to him who is able to do uh, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And I challenged you last Sunday to pray one simple prayer again and again throughout the month of uh, January when challenges come your way when um, you're not sure what to do, when you're frustrated with a person or with a situation, I just ask you to simply pray, Father God, I humbly pray that you will do more than all that I can ask or imagine. And I, I don't know if any of us knew last Sunday that on Wednesday of this past week that most of us would have challenges come our way, that we would not be sure what to do, that there would be people, situations that we would be frustrated with. And I think we all probably experienced all of that as we watched the events unfold in our nation's capital on Wednesday. Uh, these protests aren't new. We saw similar mayhem and destruction in cities all across the nation last year, but something about it being in our nation's capital. When people get into places that they're not supposed to be able to get into, that kind of hits a little closer to our hearts. It rattles us perhaps a little bit more. I could, I could stand at the podium this morning and I could rant and rave. I could, I could pound my fist on the podium and I could demand that we give support to this or we withdraw support from that. But it seems to me that there's a lot of people ranting and raving. And as far as I can tell, it doesn't really seem to be improving the situation very much. So I just know this, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I see the benefits of civil discourse. I embrace the rule of law, I agree that it's important to examine whether it's real or perceived. I think it's important to examine disenfranchisement. But at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe with all my heart that only he is the ultimate answer to every ill that we face. And I also know that there's a, a lot of people, tens of millions of people, who would disagree with that statement. Hundreds of millions, possibly, worldwide. Hocus pocus, a lot of folks would say. Fairy tales, somebody else might say. But, but the Word of God has something to say about what happens 
when we put our trust into the things of this world versus putting our trust into the things of God. And I believe this prophecy of Scripture is being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so I think this series on more is even more important than ever. For surely we're living in a time when we must consider who and what we are going to focus on more. Will we focus more on our physical and emotional and mental well-being and throw a little spirituality in just for good measure? Or are we individually and collectively going to focus more on becoming deeper, spirit-filled people, knowing that when we do that, our emotional and mental and physical lives will align under the banner and under the lordship of Jesus Christ? And I pray as we go through this series that we're going to be people who are more interested in the latter. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to become deeper, more spirit-filled people? I just want to challenge you in love uh, with a few simple ideas today that I hope will get us started on that journey uh, into what matters most as we choose more of the spirit and less of our flesh. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 12 today. If you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and, and turn there. I want you to follow along. I want to invite you to take notes today because there's so much here. It's going to be impossible for us to unpack it all in less than half an hour. So I'm going to ask you to return to this text this week and take an even deeper dive through your own personal study. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 12 and at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain uh, and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And so Jesus answered, haven't you read what David and his companions did when they were hungry. He entered the house of God. And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet they're innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, and looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? 
How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, I've got to tell you, this is a phenomenally rich passage of Scripture. I wish we had hours to go through and break this down and examine every subtle nuance of this Scripture. But we don't. Uh, So today I just want to draw a few observations from this text that I hope will help all of us not just become more like Jesus, but to have more the heart of Jesus. Um, And so let's let's, um, take a little time to examine this. First of all, the Sabbath is a hot topic. If there had been a Facebook in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would have posted all kinds of things about the Sabbath. They just would not have posted on the Sabbath because writing was forbidden. It was considered work, okay? But if they had a Facebook, they would have argued about the Sabbath. They might have posted memes about the Sabbath. Here's an example of a meme we might have seen in Jesus' day. Ah, Shabbat. Because Sabbath means what? It's a day of rest, a day that was holy and consecrated to the Lord. It was a day that you were not supposed to work, but in your rest, reflect on the goodness of God. For you Star Wars fans, you might have seen something like this. A Shabbat Shalom you have. Okay, that would have been pretty cool, huh? That would have been pretty cool to have seen that back in the day. So if we could, if we could or would not have seen memes, then, then we, we might have seen Facebook light up with all kinds of back and forth. Who's keeping the Sabbath like they should and, and who's, who's keeping it correctly or not. You, you see, their arguments about the Sabbath were pretty common, much like we argue politics today. They would have argued Sabbath. Why? Because keeping the Sabbath along with circumcision, these were two of the most distinguishing marks of the Jews as people of God. And if we read the story of, the, uh, of Jesus in the Gospels, Sabbath-keeping was constantly this source of conflict between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew, the conflict is situated perfectly on the heels of one of the most powerful teachings of Jesus. We read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me because I'm meek and I am lowly in heart, so you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is kind And my burden is light. If we consider the Sabbath holy, which it is, a day of rest unto the Lord, take a quick look at another way to understand that passage in light of what we just read here in Matthew chapter 12. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will be your Sabbath, Jesus says. Take my yoke on your shoulders and learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find Sabbath for your souls. Isn't that beautiful? You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had created rule after rule after rule about the Sabbath. 
The original intention was rest. You can read that in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 12 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 14. But this original intention of rest was now actually more of a burden than it was a blessing. A day of very few rules and requirements and regulations had become a day almost exclusively of rules, requirements, and regulations. So who who could rest when you're constantly walking around on eggshells? Who can reflect on the goodness of God when the Sabbath hawks are always watching, waiting for the opportunity to sweep in and pounce on their prey? Who has time to focus on the rule of God when your bandwidth is consumed by the rules of men? Jesus confronts all of this with a call to more. More what? Well, let's explore the text and find out. Again, Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And so Jesus does here what he does in many, many other situations. Instead of giving them an answer, he asks them a question in response to their concern. The first is... um, You've, uh, you've read Samuel's account of David eating the holy bread of the tabernacle when he wasn't supposed to, right? Now, what we got to also understand here what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying, you know, it's no big deal to break Sabbath law, right? That's not what he's saying. Instead, Jesus is indirectly communicating to his critics and to his followers that just as David, through whose lineage the Messiah would come, and I love this quote by Douglas Hare, just as David was permitted to profane the holy bread of the tabernacle because of his importance in God's plan for Israel, so the son of David has authority to permit his followers to profane the Sabbath. Not simply because they're hungry, but because they are associated with him in the urgent work of the kingdom. Jesus' second question, which is unique to Matthew's account, by the way, haven't you read in the law that the uh, priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, but they're innocent? Think about it this way. The priests work in the temple on Sabbath. They butchered the animals. They processed the animals. They offered sacrifices. They had to change the ceremonial loaves of bread. The law required that all of these things be done. So by doing them, even on the Sabbath, the priests had nothing to fear. And so this is where our understanding of Scripture in English, it breaks down. We see Jesus asking a question, and then we see Jesus asking another question, but the Jews would have understood these two questions from two very different perspectives. Question one is asked from the perspective perspective of Haggadah, and that's one of two primary components of rabbinic tradition 
And you can see on screen that this is the part of rabbinic tradition that investigates and interprets the meaning, the values, and the ideas which underlie the specific distinctions that govern religious life. The second question is asked from the rabbinic tradition of halakha. And that focuses more on rules and regulations and their essential nature. This can get confusing pretty quickly. So let's see if this next table helps, understand, helps us understand it a little bit better. Haggadah tells us how to participate in the eternal drama. It's the greater story of God. It's the narrative of how we live out our faith. Halakha teaches us how to perform common acts. It drills down more to specifics. Haggadah gives us aspiration, that which we aspire to or that which inspires us. Halakha gives us knowledge, facts. You see some of the other differences there. One is about vision of the ends of living. One is about norms for specific action. One suggests, the other prescribes. One is implied or it's inferred. The other is definite. And these two schools of thought batted this back and forth all the time. We should put much, much more attention on facts and we should put much, much more attention on, on figures and making sure that we're doing exactly what's right. And the other tradition said, no, we need to be concerned more about matters of the heart. And, and if we're going to do something different, what's the precedent for that based on God's love or the story that he's calling us to live into? Isn't it fascinating? Don't we still struggle with these same kinds of things when we are interpreting Scripture? So Jesus masterfully responds because he makes an observation that captures the essence of both perspectives. Both of these things are important. Both of these perspectives are spot on. And it's so impressive what he does here. But it pales in comparison, comparison to what happens next. In verse 6, because he says, I'm going to tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now we read that, we read that verse and we go, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's really nice. But I'm going to tell you for the Jew, this would be like somebody slapping your grandmother. Okay. Now, you can envision that happening, and I don't know about you, but if somebody comes after my grandma, I'm going to be up in their face a little bit, right? This was a shocking statement for Jesus to make. You talk about getting riled up quickly. The temple was, was more to the Jewish people than just a place of worship. It was a symbol of their nation. The temple priest system, it was the closest thing that Israel had to a government of its own. Go all the way back to the book of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah prophesied, when he prophesied against the temple, I don't know if you remember this or not, but he actually was put in stocks, or the Hebrew could mean that he was put into a very cramped, confined space. Basically, Jeremiah had committed treason by speaking against the temple. Jesus' challenge to the temple is going to be a recurring theme throughout his ministry. It's going to be the ultimate issue that unites his opponents against him. But when that temple curtain is torn apart, then that which Jesus prophesies here becomes reality. Something greater than the temple is here. 
And what is this something greater? It could be a reference to Jesus himself, although it seems like he would have said someone um, who is greater than the temple is here. But maybe he's talking about himself. It could be a reference to the kingdom of God, and there's certainly lots of parallels that would help us think that that may be the reference that he's making here. But in context, it seems like it might be a reference to what follows immediately. Something greater than the temple is here. Notice in verse 7, if you have known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice you would not have condemned the innocent. You wouldn't have condemned these men who were going through the fields grabbing a few grains of wheat because they're hungry. For the Son of Man, He's the Lord of the Sabbath. I was going to add this one verse here just for a moment. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. At chapter 6 and verse 6, R.T. France helps us understand the gravity of what's taking place here in God's scale of priorities, a positive concern for the good of others. That's mercy takes precedence over formal compliance with ritual regulations. You see, Hosea 6.6, the part of it that Jesus mentions here, is powerful. It's profound. One of the things I appreciate about some of the young Jewish scholars that I'm hanging out with these days is that when Jesus shared a verse, he expected his listeners to know what came before that verse and also what came after. If we go back and we read Hosea 6, 6 and read that entire verse, notice what it says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So what does this mean for us? A few suggestions, and then we'll wrap up. I believe that we, and when I say we, I mean Christians who are living in this nation in 2021, but I want to bring it also down just to our church. I think we need more understanding on what is most important. And I think Jesus models that for us here. In this instance, the Pharisees were so focused on a rule They were so laser-focused in on this rule that they missed a glaring truth. People were hungry. They just needed to eat. Jesus challenges what they were paying more attention to. Years ago, some of you may not know this, but years ago, I used to do lots and lots of customer service training. I traveled all over Texas and Oklahoma and and did a lot of customer service uh, interaction, facilitation, training. There was a quote that uh, I, I learned many years ago that stuck out in my mind. Theodore Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've heard that quote, some of you? Um, now, obviously, that's contextual, right? I mean, if you're in search, concerned with knowledge, then empathy. Yeah? That'd be right. But in many situations, I think this adage does apply. You don't really care what I know until you know that I care about you. In this instance, Jesus is basically asking, guys, what, what good are, are Sabbath rules If those who are ushering the lost into my rest, what good are those rules if people can't eat? 
Understand, Jesus is saying, you can't make a rule for everything. But you can live by the principles of the kingdom of God in all things. Don't we kind of figure this out as parents? Those of you who brought children into this, this world, adopted children into your home, don't we kind of figure this out over time? Sometimes you as a parent, you need to be stern. Can I get an amen? Sometimes, parents, you have to look at your children and you have to say, stop it. Right? Some of you have done that. Yes. Your child is running out into the street. You don't say, oh, isn't that sweet? Good luck dodging those cars. Of course not. Sometimes you're going to be stern. Sometimes you're going to say, stop. There are other times when you need to pull your children into a bear hug and you need to say, I just love you. I love you so much. There are times when you need to model for your children, and this is a formal environment. So we're going to show dignity and respect while we're in this or that context. There are other times when you just need to model the importance of relaxing and living in the moment. As a parent, this balancing act is not always easy, but as children... We need to see and experience every one of these aspects in order to mature into well-adjusted and well-rounded adults. And I want you to know something. Every parent can tell you there is no rule book for figuring this out. Through prayer, and study, counsel, mistakes, victories, conversations, trial and error, and so on and so on. We learn what we can. And then we do the best we can while our children are under our roof. We try to teach our children what's most important. And we pray and we cry and we laugh and we pace and we fret and we cheer. But here's what we don't do as parents. We don't write down 800 laws to live by and make our children memorize every one of those laws and quote them back to us and then make sure that they enforce those same laws on everyone in their circle of influence. And you want to know something amazing? Our Father God in heaven doesn't, it's the exact same thing for us. He doesn't do that either. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Is a principal characteristic of the very nature of God. Church, we could attend a thousand worship assemblies. And in every one of those worship assemblies, we could cross every T and we could dot every I. But if we hate a brother or a sister, we've totally missed the point of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I beg you, don't miss the point. At this moment in our nature's, in our nation's history, we can't afford to miss the point. 
For the sake of our children and for our grandchildren, church, let's fight for, and I mean that in the very best sense of the phrase, let's fight for a deep understanding of what is more important. It may cost us, cost Jesus his life, but I believe it's a price worth paying, and I'll have more to say about that next Sunday. As powerful as Jesus' teaching is here, some in the audience still don't get it. And so he continues. Knowing that they're following closely behind, he goes on from that place and heads to the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand is there, and looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they ask him, and we didn't get you on this last one, let's see if we can get you on this one, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he says to them, if any of you has sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Church, there are a lot of people in a lot of pits of all different shapes and sizes right Some of these pits are very, very difficult to navigate. Some of them are very deep. Some are related just to a season of life that someone is in, but others are pits of addiction or wounds or scars. Some pits are the result of lust or greed, quite frankly, just ignorance. Some people are in a pit of lost hope. Others are in a pit of lost purpose. We ask a lot of questions in this church about a lot of different things, but I, I want to ask you this morning to just process one question with me. And here's the deal. This is a question that I cannot answer. You as an individual, you as families, you will have to answer this question yourself. How much more valuable are people then I can't decide what goes in that blank it could be how much more valuable are people than my 401k or how much more valuable are people than my comfort level or my job or my preferences for this that or the other so many things that we spend so much time and energy on I just want to ask you this morning, how valuable are people to you, really? I mean, really. Especially those whose eternal lives are in jeopardy. How valuable are they to you? Jesus says to the people in this audience, he says to them, and I think it's still true for us, Do some work on the Sabbath if you have to. That's living into the spirit and the very law of God. Even this would not have been enough to have convinced some of those in his audience. There's much, much more we could read. We could back up, for example, into Matthew chapter 10 and verses 29 and 31. Jesus asked this question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. 
And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Easy counting for me. So don't be afraid. You are worth, do you see the word there? More. You're worth more than many sparrows. People who are in a pit, regardless of what kind of pit it is, those people matter more to God. And here's an amazing thing. That mattering more, it's not just for people who find themselves in a pit. It's true for every single person on the planet. You and I, all of us, we are worth more. I love these words from Sharon Janes, who has a blog site entitled Proverbs 31 Ministries. She writes, you're worth more than the money in your bank account. You are worth more than the number of friends you have on Facebook. You're worth more than the number of meetings or appointments on your calendar. You're worth more than your successes or failures. You are worth more than your level of education. You are worth more than the price tags in your closet. You are worth more than your accomplishments or lack of them. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus knew there would be a counter-narrative to his narrative that would hammer against our heads and hearts day after day after day, and it hasn't stopped. The Pharisees of this world will tell us we're doing too much on the one hand or not enough on the other. Many atheists will laugh at us. They'll just call us fools. Anti-institutionalists will call us old-fashioned or out of touch for believing in the sanctity of marriage. Some of our own friends will cut us deeply with their own criticism. I, I could go on and on and on. All of us know this. But I'm begging you this morning to hear this. When it comes to the voices inside your circle of influence, listen for the voice of Jesus above all others. Because it's his voice ultimately that's going to lead you home. If you just let that same voice speak through your words and through your actions, you may just pull some of those folks I just mentioned out of pits they may not even be consciously aware of. And glory to God, you might just help lead them home as well. After we wrap up this morning, I'm going to head over to the Welcome Center. It's possible that you want to enter into this rest that Jesus describes. Baptism is the starting point for that amazing journey. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you want someone just to talk with this morning or pray with. Maybe folks over there who would love to do that with you. Um, Ray Powell's going to share a prayer with us, and we'll have a song after that. And if need be, I'll meet you over in the Welcome Center in just a little bit. Otherwise, have a fantastic week, everyone, and leave this place knowing you are dearly, dearly loved by Jesus, who is the Messiah. Right?